Hello, everybody. Um, after I think it's a five week break, Stan, yeah. we have now reached the fifth academic year and the 160th edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And uh, for those who are just joining us, um, Frank and Stan, I'm Frank, that's Stan, my friend for many years. We used to meet um, in Manchester uh, every few months and have a beer and, and chat about stuff. And then at the beginning of the first lockdown in 2020, we decided we would have these Zoom meetings. And believe it or not, they happened every week after that. Uh, and more often than not, we have a guest, but this being, well, the, the, <laughs> uh, this being the, the first of the year. And, and actually, our guest uh, uh, is, is unwell, um, so couldn't join us today. So uh, best wishes to, um, to Richard Cragg. Who is going to join us? But uh, so we thought we'd just start the year with the two of us, uh, as Richard's not available. So uh, we do these every Friday. Today's different; it's a Saturday. Uh, it's boiling hot. England have just drawn one all with the Ukraine, or not the Ukraine, but it's Ukraine. And uh, and actually, schools have just started back this week. So uh, after that little intro, hello, Stan. How are you? Uh, but it seems a bit strange. This five weeks seems a long time not to uh, not to chat. In fact, prior to was supposedly going up yesterday when I had some problems with uh, with Zoom actually, not with Wi-Fi for once. But it was uh, Zoom wouldn't let me, let it work unless I updated the Zoom bit, and yes. the Zoom, it wouldn't let me update. <laughs> So it's taken me most of this afternoon to get this to work. So fingers crossed, we're all yeah. right. And also, it's good to see you're wearing your sponsor shirt. The uh, obviously the Stan element of that. <laughs> this is Salford's anniversary sh shirt. So it's uh, how many years have they been going Salford uh, Rugby League? One hundred twenty-five, I think it is. Wow! Wow! Um, but it's. Uh, it's mainly because we're not going to get anywhere this season, I don't think. We're, we're just outside the playoffs and got three very difficult games and we really need to win all three to, right. to get into the playoffs. But if you're a Salford fan, you know, that's we're not involved in the relegation battle. That's, that's <laughs> the, I, 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 as, as the season progresses, I get to the point where we can't be relegated and, and I feel right. Everything's fine. <laughs> season is done. Well, um, we, we keep saying, don't we, that um, since we started these in um, May 2020, we wondered whether there would be anything to talk about. Each week we have always found plenty of things to talk about. And uh, one of the things that we can always rely on is uh, a mistake, an error, some catastrophe from um, the current government. And they have well and truly delivered this week. Um, so, Stan, let me guess, what's caught your eye this week? School buildings. <laughs> I've been racking my brains trying to think what we can talk about. Yeah. R-A-A-C in those circumstances. <laughs> um, um, just how to make something which, to be fair, I'm not blaming the, the, the uh, current um, Secretary of State for this, mm. but how to make it a mess when you don't need to make it a mess. It's it's a 
an object lesson in how not to lead in a crisis. So you, you, you probably wouldn't expect to see a head teacher when facing a crisis in front of a camera, for example, on a local TV station, even let alone a national one. Question, you know, sort of swearing. I've only had one session of training for um, working in front of a camera, and the thing they must have said to us a hundred times is the camera is never off, the t- microphone is never off. You must always remember that. Yeah, um, I'm sure that uh, the Secretary of State has had more than one session on handling the press and dealing with it. So how you can get to a state where you, you think you're you're off mic or off camera is just naive to say the least. It's interesting because uh, is there an echo at your end, Stan, on this? I can hear that again. No. Yeah. Um, for me, there was um, it was interesting. Somebody mentioned uh, that ITV were quite bold in um, releasing that clip, and that they questioned whether or not if another prime minister um, had been in, you know, leading the country, whether or not, and whether or not they the the, the government was viewed quite so negatively, whether they would have broadcast. Yeah off the record comment you know but they did and uh the cat's out of the well, bag talk about preempting it in uh yes prime minister that there's a whole uh program based on based on uh sir humphrey you know <laughs> to solve unemployment off the record <laughs> off the mic yeah <laughs> uh, i think um i want to give uh, a shout out to schools week um this week because, uh, I mean, it's an obvious headline, but Rack and Ruin was their headline yesterday. I'm surprised I didn't see that in any of the newspapers picking no, up. But I, didn't. but I thought, well done. But also for the, the glorious bit of alliteration that followed, Conservatives' concrete crisis causes classroom chaos. Um, <laughs> there's always an educational element to all of this, isn't there? There's uh, something for a year four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, analysis of that piece of alliteration. But I thought uh, all credit to Schools Week for coming up with that one. Um, <clears throat> I mean, in terms of, of that that language, there's also that, for me, what what was being said, if you take the, the bad language out of it, you know, why is nobody telling me I've done a good job? Yeah. You know, how, how many years do you have to work before somebody actually comes and says? And I'd like to say, no, school leaders are doing a good job. I'm not going to put any Fs in it. Yes. But they are. Yes. Every school leader I meet are doing a good job. And I hope they get told that occasionally. But I know it won't be very often. Um, And one, I think you have to be doing a good job before somebody tells you you're doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. And then the... The, the phrase about other people uh, perhaps not doing very much, which she claims wasn't aimed at uh, any of her colleagues. So, Well, and of course, she then spun that round as if it was the head teachers who are the laggards who yeah. had not returned their questionnaire. I mean, the value of that questionnaire is quite limited as well, isn't it? It's, you know, well, have you, seen like you and me are not experts on, you know, aerated concrete. From what I've read, though, the DFE... Have have not collated the returns properly. No. So some of those schools have returned 
and it's not been collated properly. So, And that's the reason why they've decided not to name and shame, because there's probably more danger yeah. for them in identifying a school that has actually returned it, and they're listed as having not returned it. So, uh, yeah. It... And the other question that I, I saw live being ducked was the uh, £32 million upgrade of the office, yeah. which the Secretary of State quite clearly said she didn't know anything about. Yeah, what, the office that she's working in? Yeah, uh, and she'd signed it off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just multiple disasters for things that, if you're honest and straight, you don't need to, to fall into traps there. I, I, I just found it incredible that... You know, okay, it was. It would have been easier to say, look, we really found out about this December 22. We'd, we'd had one case in 2018. We've since done a lot of work on finding out where the schools are. We're, we thought we were in a position mm-hmm. now where we could start a programme of replacement, but some recent evidence has said we need to move faster than we thought. I know. but uh, that... Well, yeah, that's one. I mean, I agree. Um, and and just a shout out that there is a school that I know that's got rack primary school, and I contacted the head yesterday, and she said she was really quite impressed with the support she'd received from the department and also from the local authority. So just to you know, feel like the BBC journalist now putting yeah. you know, positive spin I, on it. Um, I, I don't think but, I, for me it's it's making a crisis out of, out of something that that yeah. is difficult and is high risk. But if you're honest about about the way you do and what do you think, and then we had Nick Gibbs saying we're doing it faster than anybody else in the world, world leading. What the hell has that got to do with anything? <laughs> I mean, we're world leading at recovering from a disaster of our own making. <laughs> that, and the Sunak's brilliant bit of of spin, where they said, you know, have you reduced it down to fifty schools a year? No, yeah. no, no, that's not true. I have only in my first day in office kind of thing, I made a plan for 500 schools over 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll find. That's 50 schools. <laughs> yeah. and um, I, I think... Uh, the figures, Frank, they, what they, they reckon is a third of English schools are past the design. Yeah. Line. So that's 7,000 schools. So at 50 a year, will manage those in only 140 years. <laughs> we'll still be doing this, of course, at that point. <laughs> and, and at that rate, to replace the, the whole uh, range of schools, the, the full estate, uh, it'll take 440 years. Yeah. And Do we've they... been in state education for just over 100 years <laughs> being compulsory. I think for me, I, I mean, I remember when... Uh, up to 1997, I, like you, I started teaching in 1979. I think you started teaching then as well. Was it 1980? Seven. Seven. Well, I, I started in 79. So between 1979 and 1997 was a, a conservative administration of one kind or another. And during that period of time, um, which had lots of ups and downs economically, we got to a point in 1997 when I was leading a primary school where two classes were in porter cabins that were um, should have been thrown in a tip somewhere 
15 or 20 years ago. And it was only after 1997 when there was a different approach and the education, education, education uh, strategy started to impact on school buildings. And I know we've got all this building schools, for, you know, whatever. But I immediately, within a, a year, we had architects around looking at a three classroom extension on the building, um, a brick built, not a modular thing, these modular things. Yeah. And actually, for me, that was the first time when I felt as though you know, something was going to happen to resolve a problem that no matter how hard I tried, I'd never got anywhere close oh. to resolving. And it feels like we're in a similar sort of position. Yeah, I agree. Fred. I, I became a head in, in 1990 and the second governor's meeting, I took them around the building to show them where you could poke your finger through the woodwork around the windows yeah. and how, you know, basically the whole of the windows in the whole of the building needed replacing. Um, there was a funny situation where Lancashire sent somebody round to to estimate and give a quote for it, and these two men, I'll be generous and say they were in their seventies, came and looked at it and he said, "That's too high for us to go up." <laughs> and it turns out they were window glaziers and coffee makers. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it, it's it's quite a thing. Um, but it was that idea that, that sort of some handymen uh, uh, locally could could pack up and then um, the same with painting because they said, yeah, you've got some money for painting the school. We're going to contract some painters. And I said, but, the, you know, the wood's rotten. Well, we'll just replace where it's rotten and then paint it. So thankfully, at that time, I managed to get um, a building. Was it called a building manager? My my building rep, anyway, who was quite um, good, and he said, "Right, what we're going to do is we're going to replace the gents' toilet window block with uh, plastic." Right. So I said, "I can't." I can't justify it as as the only gent. <laughs> I can't justify having my toilet drop. <laughs> and he said, "No, what what will will happen now? Once I can do that on my day to day finance, once that's in, every other repair will now have to be in plastic to match." Oh, right, right. And within eighteen months, the whole of the school was was done in UPVC. Fantastic. Mm, yeah. What a difference that made. I know. Um... And it's right, Frank, what you say. It's that Sunday is taking interest in yeah. the school and investing a lot of money in the school. Yeah. And it, it, it lifts the uh, the morale in the school. I agree. I agree. Um, I mean, it's funny because <clears throat> children have started back this term, uh, t this week. And uh, um, I've started to do sort of primary runs and secondary runs for the grandchildren. And... Uh, I had I had a reason to go to the secondary school um, for my for our eldest granddaughter, and so I walked in because she'd left some PE kit in my car, and I I sort of walked down there thinking, oh God, you know, this is going to be really tough. This, you know, I'm going to get I don't know how I'm going to be treated. I have to say, I walked in and I was as well treated by that receptionist who was sympathetic and wanted to help, you know, and there was a real sort of sense of purpose and energy 
in in the school you could feel it you know um i was really really impressed you know so we we witter and whine and moan sometimes or quite quite a lot but as you say you know there are some stunning ed teachers out there and some stunning schools you know still doing it still still churning out really good young people but i think there's there are people who who sort of want to help and want to to show you that they want to help and if you can find one of those and get them in reception, that, that makes yeah. it. Well, perhaps we ought to have a receptionist on. Because, <laughs> I, that, you know, when we've done although, although inspections. I have a friend who would say, I, I need somebody who's also a Rottweiler. <laughs> if you're in a disadvantaged area, you've got to, you've got to really yeah. work with the parents. You need somebody not only that they that they respect, but they are scared of. I, I know. Well, there was somebody, my daughter um, has moved from this school uh, uh, into a school, sorry, and uh, there's a, a non-teaching member of staff there who works in the office. But when the children are roaming around, you know, at break time or whatever, she she sits on a chair because she's uh, slightly disabled. And basically, anybody walks past the office, she checks whether they've got the reading book with them. Right. She she really adds value to that school, you know, and that's something over and above what she's meant to do. But she clearly understands the importance of that. And, uh, you know, it's people like that, that, you know, I continue to sort of be impressed with, you know, I suppose in a sense when I, when I was ahead, I was always very concerned about how the kitchen staff were feeling, how the cleaners were feeling, how the caretaker was feeling, you know, all, all of those staff were crucially important, you know, and I needed to contribute their bit, you know, to the well-being of everybody, um, but uh, yeah, it was heartening this week actually going in and seeing what was a really good school, one judged actually outstanding by Ofsted, um, as you know, really looking as though it, it was, you know. Um, I, it, sort of one step back experience as uh, my grandson, who's only one, started nursery. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, um, two days and. Uh, but what got me was was the communication because my wife's going to be somebody officially who can pick him up with yes. a passport and, and everything else. Uh, she gets an e- an email uh, daily about what's going on. But on these two days so far, there's been a breakdown of what activities they've done, what food he's eaten, when he's eaten it, uh, nappy changes, times, and the the photographs of him doing various and that's come as an email twice in during the day wow and i just think and i know it's a small nursery and but that that kind of communication is just yeah. fantastic it's phenomenal is it yeah yeah you remember the days you, you'll know of reception children coming in and still screaming when the parents went away <laughs> imagine if you know, as I'm sure they can do now, you can WhatsApp them 10 minutes afterwards with the know, child in the group, and then you can just say you can relax now. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, I was talking to my, um, we are wandering here, aren't we? Because I've still got a couple of things I want to cover. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was talking to my uh, son in law, who is an assistant head teacher in a primary school, and uh, this afternoon, actually, and um, just he, in his role, he will now read reports rather than write them. Right. Sign them off. And so I just said, so how 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 much time were you taking over your reports? You know, to get them ready for signing off as a teacher. So he said, 
well, probably about two or three days. And uh, it made, it just made me think, as you were saying there, about the really effective report writing or assessment sharing is this ongoing assessment, isn't it? Yeah. You don't then need the final report. And when you think about how much time, how helpful it is and how reassuring it is for parents and carers to know on a regular basis, not big stuff, but just little stuff that says they're doing really well, had a great yeah. day, you know, that sort of stuff, even as a year 10, yeah. year 11, you know, I mean, that's rather than teachers having to sit down and write, you know, hours and hours and hours of stuff in order to comply with a end of year report requirement. Well, I know it's off topic now, but I remember my daughter at sixth form. Um, my son had had an interesting time, let's say, at sixth form. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I can say the same. I'd had a few conversations with, with them there, uh, culminating in in the, uh, I think it was the deputy saying, you, you'd be surprised how many how many problems we have with students. And I said, no, I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> when my daughter went to a different uh, sixth form, a newly appointed head there said, you know, and these these students are 16 up to 18. They're responsible for their own lives. They don't need their parents being told what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Said, I don't believe that, and I never have. So <laughs> if there's anything you need to know, you please <laughs> And I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> um, well, what, uh, I'm just conscious of uh, what's caught my eye. Um, Martin Oliver, so Martin Oliver was in front of the select committee um, this week and he was uh, appointed or they, they recommended on a majority vote, I think it was four to one, that he should be appointed as the chief inspector. And I think what you were saying before was that he came over quite well, uh, uh, competent, um, but some things sort of uh, stuck in my throat a little bit. And um, one of them was around um, the fact that he was encouraging senior leaders to be inspectors. And that was something that I was uh, a big advocate of when I was working for the inspectorate and led on some of those early programs where we were turning HMI into inspectors as well as you and I had a year on secondment in the mid-90s, um, which is why we got to know each other, seconded to Ofsted. Um, but the thing is that what, stuck, what really, really surprised me was that he has never inspected. So in effect, what he's asking is for every other senior leader, apart from him, to inspect. Yeah. yeah. But actually, he's not inspected ever. I assumed he would have done. Yeah. And, and for me, the, the, the question is, that, you know, going back, reviewing those people who have undertaken the chief inspector role, and it's not a requirement that you have inspected yourself. But in my experience of, of inspection, the chief inspector who has inspected has tended to be the stronger chief inspector, because there's a, it's very simple. To, it's a very simple view to take that. Actually, all, you, all you've got to do is put some of these head teachers on a training program for six weeks and then they can start leading inspections. So you and I had a year. Mm. We were mm. monitored for an entire year with, you know, three other colleagues by a future chief inspector who was I'm talking about Rottweilers. She was a Rottweiler and she drove us really hard to the point that we really did understand 
the complexity and the dangers of inspection for schools and for inspection uh, for inspectors. So I think that that idea that yeah okay, what well, you you decided that it wasn't you didn't want to get involved in inspection because you were too busy trying to improve and turn around the schools. Now that you're a chief inspector, it's all right for everybody else not yeah. to concentrate on their schools and to give a bit more time to Ofsted. You know, I mean, I, it, it doesn't really, that, that doesn't impress me at all. And one final thing is that he said that he had low, uh, the, the trust that he leads, he still leads it, um, has uh, low, I think he said suspension, I think it might have been suspension or exclusion, uh, for the area. And, we, you know, some of the work that I've been doing, in a num- not just for myself, but for other organisations, you know that we are not finding that evidence in the data, and so in a way, you know, it's, it is deeply disappointing when you see statements made like that, which I don't think actually hold up. Mm. And the final thing I'd say is that having read and trawled through every single secondary uh, trust inspection report, there are just countless occasions where it talks about poor behaviour and uh, uh, exclusion rates are too high. And that is in schools where the school has been with the trust, not a couple of terms, a couple of years. Some of those are over 10 years. Mm. Now, you know, for me, the idea is that, yeah, I understand that there may need to be a new broom, but that new broom can't be sweeping kids out 10 years later because you've got to ask yourself, something wrong with the broom? Yeah. I mean, I think... um... Some time ago, when I when I and it is long enough ago to say this might well have changed. Looking at uh, systems that were employed, there, there was no escape mechanism. Everything you know, everything sort of stepped up. If you were yes. forgotten your pencil, if you'd done this, and it's, and at no point was the right. Well, it's been six months since the last time. You'd... There's a release valve. Yeah, yeah. I, and there wasn't any of that. And plus, there was instant suspension for things that, yes, they are, you know, more serious things, setting a fire alarm off or something, but there was no suggestion that anybody would look into why or how yeah. or or what the background was. Uh, and I, I, at the time, I was a little bit worried about that. But what, what caught my eye in, in what he was saying, and, and I, I only watched about, what, about 30 minutes or so of it, uh, was... He started to talk about the the need to to look at context and to to see schools as individual schools, which you know for me I raised the flag. But then I noticed because I think the response of the people who were interviewing that that looked a little bit like a red rag. Yes, he he, he sort of backpedaled on that and then said, you know, well it'll be something that we'll need to look at and and you know find the evidence etc um he also i don't think got to the grips with the one word judgment did he but no. he no. He'd say he would look at it or or it was something but, to- but isn't that really something that if you've been inspecting and you know the difficulties in actually bringing that single word judgment which actually is delivered through a framework, a handbook, a training, you know, all of this sort of stuff. If you really understood that, then actually your contribution to the decision as to whether or not the yeah. word judgment should go or not is actually, I think, more convincing. 
to the profession. Yeah, I still think there's an easy option where you, you look at the way we, we report um, expected. Um, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, yeah. not easy, but, but to say this school meets the expected standards and, yeah. of schools in England. Yes. And then break down the four key areas, five key areas, and give them a, a grading. So it's, you're either ex- meeting the expectation or meeting the standard, or you're not. Yeah. Be very few schools. We're almost there now, because I notice now we, we don't talk about outstanding and good and not not good. Yes. We talk about outstanding and good in one block. Yeah. I, I suspect that's political, because if we just look at outstanding schools, clearly the numbers have plummeted. Yes, yeah. And that wouldn't look good politically, but, but there are more... Uh, outstanding and good if you group them together. Well, if you're grouping them together, just have the one. Yeah, one, one. Yeah, it meets the it standard. Meets, meets the standard. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the uh, the government continue to promote the idea that when Labour um, uh, lost the election in 2010, then there was somewhere close on 70% of schools were good or better. Um, and now it's up in the you know ninety percent high eighties, as if to say you know what the frame if the framework had stayed the same, yeah, and if the word uh, satisfactory was still used, used, and it, it is quite remarkable. Uh, you may want to say that actually this is just brilliant leadership, brilliant teachers, brilliant teaching staff. That during a period of severe austerity during a COVID pandemic, during a period where school buildings have not seen any form of investment, where recruitment crisis has has never been worse. We suddenly have got from a position where there are 20% more better schools than there was then. You know, the framework is not the same framework. No, and of course, you'd expect with 20% better schools, 20% rise in In the... Standards. It's, it's obvious, Stan. It's a. It just you know, if this was a, a a sort of a crime scene, you'd be thinking, this doesn't add up. No, it doesn't. <laughs> this doesn't add up. Um, what I want to do, I've got a, about because we've we've done uh, thirty odd minutes. Is uh, do you mind if I just sort of have a uh, issue around? Well, you let me mention something. Well, it's another S, but I mean. Um, I, I grew up in um, Essex and went to a secondary school in South End. So my early days of watching football were at South End United. And uh, for the last sort of four or five, well, probably last 15 years, uh, the, the, the club has not been very well managed and, and led. And uh, on the 4th of October, there is the final High Court hearing as to whether or not the football club that I've supported my entire life will actually fold unless uh, someone can find uh, £250,000 to pay the tax man. So I I believe something like £600,000 to pay the other clubs who have got these sort of, uh, when they sell a player and they're then sold on, there's generally a a payment made to the original club. Well, Southend haven't paid that. Um, But one thing that's really struck me is that um, last year, towards the end of the year, None of the players were paid. None of the office staff had been paid. And um, it was only earlier this year when um, 
they they managed to find some money to keep the HMRC off their backs and they paid the players. But there were still months where office staff had not been paid. And uh, during that period of time, at the end of last season, Southend missed out on a play playoff place by one, I think it's one point. And this year they've had 10 points docked because they haven't paid all their tax bills. And But what is remarkable is that, and we talk about leadership a lot here, is the leadership of that manager who has managed to keep that club rolling, keep the club moving, who's still, who is so deeply respected by his players and by the fans that actually, even though he could go somewhere else, I'm sure he would easily get a job, you know, in a much higher league. Um, he has stayed. And, and a lot of the players who could earn a lot more money have also stayed, even though the future is not bright, it's not clear. And I just think that that says a lot about the culture in that team, the culture in that club, and that sense of doing it for the fans and doing it for each other is, I think, what a lot of teachers do. And yeah, the why they don't say. move on. Yeah, yeah, they become sort of connected to their community. They're connected to the families. You know, they could easily perhaps get an easier job working in a, you know, mm. more affluent area somewhere, but they don't, you know, they just stick at it because they know that they're needed. I I, I don't do that much inset anymore, but part of when I used to talk to school leaders, it was about being a steward rather than stop thinking of yourself as a head teacher and think of yourself as a steward for this school in this community and you're, you're managing it for a period of time and then you pass it on. And in your mind must be, I need to pass it on in a better state than I inherited it. And if every steward of that school does that, the school will continue to improve and get better, etc. But I think we've got to a point now where in some cases, uh, school leaders think they own the school. Yeah. It's their school, and I, I think they're forgetting that they're actually there for a short time in the history of the school um, to to just make sure what they do is the right thing and they pass it on in a better condition than it was. I don't mean the building, although that can <laughs> that, help. That would be a good thing. Um, but actually, yeah, it's right, because uh, it's like um, when I was the CEO uh, of the, of the co-op, I was... I, I made clear that I, I I could not have a vote. I was a, I was a um, the highest paid member of staff in the trust, but actually I delivered the the trust board's you know strategic yeah. plan. It wasn't my plan. I helped them. I influenced it, but I didn't approve it. And uh, you know I, I think that you're right. There are some still. Who, uh, I know that it's difficult for CEOs now to be. Um, uh, voting members of the or trustees, um, but actually, I think that there's still something in the in the veins of some trusts, in the veins of some governing bodies, where the the, the head teacher you know, probably rules the roost, perhaps a little bit too much. But um, yeah. yeah, and you know the, the the fact that that some head teachers can then decide, well, we're going to become an account gives them even more. You like for yeah. a long period of time, and and I know there are, there are examples around the country where you know people have have made it a family affair, and the, the family will <laughs> inherit 
if you like. Oh, the trust. I know. Um, I mean, those are some of the the worst examples, aren't there? I mean, but actually, yeah, there are many others. You know, very honourable, highly you know respectable, you know genuine, you know transparent type of trusts where that sort of thing doesn't happen. But it only requires one high profile such trust for that to sort of give you a sense that things might be a bit rotten further down the line. Yeah. Um, I just think that if you if you are genuine about what you're doing for the community, for the children, for the staff. For the people that rely on you, you shouldn't be seeing it as some sort of thiefdom that that no. gives you the opportunity to to make money out of it or to to make yourself better. Yes, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too old for this now. Don't start talking like that, Stan. I mean, <laughs> um, right. Well, uh, that's well, I'm just looking at that. It's about thirty-five minutes. So. Um, that's the end of the 160th edition. Um, next week, uh, we have a former HMI and uh, somebody who, uh, when I was ahead, visited the school as part of the uh, curriculum award. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And so he assessed uh, the suitability of uh, the school that I led. But uh, we've never spoken about that, even though. Uh, he and I know, uh, so we might find out more. Well, no doubt you'll be. Any, any early drafts of that? Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but he was an HMI for a very long time and uh, has only recently uh, stood down. So, be interesting to see where we go with that. But the other thing is, uh, before we finish, is that we've got uh, another spotlight discussion coming up, and uh, I, I don't, I can't reveal too much about it, but. Uh, we have been approached by, or, or we approached, and this gentleman was very happy to to uh, come along, uh, a very high-profile school inspection um, where there was a lot of turbulence, a lot of unhappiness, and uh, uh, this, uh, this governor uh, is wanting to chat to us about how that felt for him as a governor. Uh, so we're not getting into the business of what happened but it's actually the the emotional elements of it and how it affected the community so we have a spotlight coming up um, with that so uh that's i'm really really quite excited about you know about that discussion so uh anyway next week and uh, we're back uh, as usual and uh thank you very much stan for joining us again thank um, you and i did thank you on twitter didn't i for you did i thought that was one of the nicest things you've said um, I don't know if you want to repeat it now, Stan. I was. I think I may have been drunk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, I, I, I will say it now because while we're in the in the spirit of telling anybody if they've done a flipping good job, it's <laughs> uh, like you do put so much effort into getting this from what it was. You know, let's put the world to rights over a pint of beer to something that that's for some people interesting to listen to. <laughs> And the, the quality of guests that you manage to get is a lot of hard work. So I do appreciate it. Well, I do know that I just, you know, so David Carter's coming back this term. All right, good. We've got uh, Professor Hargreaves joining us again. With the, David, David. Have you got his new book? I have. Here it is. There we go. I bet you haven't got a shelf space. Just <laughs> the Hargreaves. The Hargreaves file. Um, yeah. 
but yeah so we've got him and and a number of you know great guests coming up so uh uh, really looking forward to this time. And actually, thank you for the kind words, Dan. But to be honest, it's it's cathartic, isn't it? It is. It is cathartic. It is. We get so much from it. It's like yeah. it's like even when it's just us two, you know, there is a little bit of just reconsidering whether you, my position was right. You know, you you you're quietly or gently testing me. You know, so it's it's good fun. So thank you. Okay, till next week. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.